All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2. We will be doing a bit of a, uh, uh, some small upgrades here to the platform area and the auditorium. All up and come. Did you know the new pulpit will be in here probably next week sometime? With that, we're having a new bonest, uh, new modesty. What in the world? Modesty banner. I mixed modesty and banner perfectly right there. That takes skill. That is a gift. Um, new doors, trim work, and we're even looking at some lights and things like this. Definitely the Jetson lights have to go. That's in the very back there and things like that. So all that's up and coming in the next few weeks here. Anyhow, First Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> All right, starting there in the very first verse, we'll look at the first six verses this evening of chapter 2. <clears throat> <clears throat> Now, I need a golf drop already. <clears throat> he says, For you yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. <clears throat> but even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been <coughs> excuse me, burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as the nurse cherished her children. Let's stop there. Actually, in verse 6, I wanted to stop. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I certainly love you. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message tonight, Lord. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Lord, please use this to draw us closer to you to meet the needs that are here. Lord, I certainly know you can do that through your spirit. So, Lord, I beg you that you'd work. I pray for your mercy and your grace and your help. Please use this to strengthen us. Help me to stay, again, true to your word. Lord, I love you, and I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. When Paul, of course, he's certainly finding out this is a second missionary journey, and so he's, he's actually been serving for a number of years already in ministry by this time. It's been, a, it's been a good group of years. I don't want to get too much into that, because we're getting ready to get into that actually on Sundays as we're getting ready to jump into Acts chapter 9 and dive into the life of, of, of Paul when we see his conversion. And so, but he's been in ministry now about a number of years, but he's, he, he, he's realizing it certainly isn't easy. Um, we see Paul is basically refuting here slanderous accusations that have been made against him that he found out when Timothy came and reported that were said at the church at Thessalonica. Um, and so he's... He's not only dealing with the regular suffering that it takes when he heads in to start a church, as we're going to be talking about here, but even then the personal attacks that are coming up that he's having to deal with, as we see in our text. And you can just think, he talked about this also in the prison at Rome. You can almost see a different approach by Paul when he writes the letter to the church at Philippi. 
This is one of his very first epistles right here. We dealt with this. He's just started the church. Well, it's been about six months or so, a little bit longer than that. He went down to Athens and in the Corinth, and then that's when he writes us. Timothy comes back. He hears what's going on, how great the church is doing. But he does hear of accusations that have, that have been made, and he is, he is countering those accusations right now. By the time we came to the church at Philippi, he's still dealing with that aspect of the ministry. He says in chapter 1, he dealt with those that were in ministry that were still attacking him. And by that time, he said, you know what, as long as we're preaching Christ, I really don't care. Uh, it was just evidence it was not about his name. We're going to see that's true here. He knows it's not about his name. So as we see with Paul, ministry certainly is not easy. I want to quote from a pastor um, who was, he was actually relating to this text and I, I want to quote what, what he was dealing with when it comes to, uh, when it comes to ministry, as he was getting into this. Uh, uh, give me here just, just a, a minute here to quote from him. He said this, Spiritual leadership is a very, very challenging responsibility. To say it's difficult is a severe understatement. It is so difficult as to be virtually impossible in our human strength. Think about what is required of a pastor, a spiritual leader, an immense responsibility to preach the gospel for the conversion of the unbelieving and ungodly sinners in the world, and then to gather the converts into solemn assemblies and ordered churches for the worship of God, and then to teach the congregation by expounding clearly and powerfully and applying poignantly the word of God, and then to stand between the people in Christ, subservient to Christ, as if you are some kind of priest mediating between your congregation and the great high priest, being devoted to pray for their well-being, to seek the face of God on their behalf, to bear their public and private um, intercessory needs, and then to administer the ordinances in such a way as to lead people to renew their covenant of obedience and confess their sins. And then to oversee the church and governance, including the rebuke of the disobedient, the strengthening of the weak, and to train and appoint teachers and workers for every believer so that no one is left behind in the responsibility of biblical counsel and example and instruction and encouragement. And then to find a path to resolve for all the congregations their doubts, their weakness, their difficulties, and then to lead them from their sins and their fears and their anxieties. It is to be the physician who runs to the hospital, who cares for all the people with all their various infections, leading them away from heresy and iniquity, leading them to healthy, whole, sound doctrine and sound living. At the same time, to be the tender shepherd who cares to see that all their needs are supplied and that their helpers there to distribute all the resources of that assembly to those who need it. To publicly champion the truth, to defend the truth, and to be a model of what a Christ requires for a Christian. This is the ministry. And you, having to overcome the weakness of your own flesh, your own ignorance, being scrutinized to see how successful you are at it. And then it's necessary for you to somehow separate yourself from the thieves and robbers and the frauds and the unfaithful who appear successful while you, faith, while you being faithful appear to be unsuccessful. All of this, you are to be joyful to be joyful. So Paul is finding out, much like this, it's not always easy. He knows what he's coming through in getting these churches started, and now he's having to deal with these different attacks that comes up. And he's making a defense against these accusations that have been made against him. He states four times, really three times in the first couple of verses, four times when you get down to the verse first ten verses, he says over and over, you know. This is the basis for his defense. 
He's appealing to the church saying, listen, I need you to remember when I was there. This is what you know to be true when I was there. He's saying, this is what you stay with. You stay with what you experienced, not what those others are saying. You, you stay with what you know to be true with who I was when I was among you. Again, Paul is answering his, this critic or possible critics. And he's saying, look, if somebody's calling into question the integrity of my life, the ministry, he says, just look at yourselves. Look when I was there, what was taking the place. Look at what you know. And it's common for people who can't argue against the truth what's being said with the work that's being done to turn that to an attack on the very person themselves. It just substantiates the weak position that they're holding. It's not an argument against the truth that's being presented or the ministry that's taking place. They have to change it to try and gain an influence in that direction. Paul, in his defense, this is not based upon his pride or his name. He never does that. It really is impressive. This is clearly for those believers. He doesn't want doubt coming in. He doesn't want them questioning who he is or what took place when he was there. It's done because of the message. And the truth is so important. He had the attacks on his reputation, perhaps those of his companions as well. And he doesn't want it to sway the people from the truth they've been getting and the direction this church is going. Remember, this is, this is the church over and over throughout this epistle. He it just exclaims over them. There's no problems here. This isn't like the church at Corinth. This isn't like the church at Galatia. This church is thriving. Again, like I mentioned last week, this is one of those churches when Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 of the churches in Macedonia. This is the church. This is what we're talking about. The church of Thessalonica. And so, within this message then, we have a great example of what integrity in ministry and how to be effective in ministry or to be a servant actually looks. And so we're going to look, I broke it into three areas here. The first, uh, actually, break, you, as you read it, you could probably tell the first two verses break down nicely, then three and four, then five and six. You can see the, the topics he's dealing with as you go through it. I put it in the form of three M's if you, want them, if you want to write them down. First two verses is Paul's moxie. The second two verses is his ministry. And the last two verses are his method. And he is using this to substantiate what they know to be true because they experience it, because they witnessed it in his life. And the title of this is, You Know. So let's look at the first two verses and get into his moxie or his boldness. He says, For you, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For, let me stop there. Paul deals with here his boldness when he came unto them. They were well aware what took place in Philippi before Paul came to Berea. That's Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 17 is the church in Thessalonica. We looked at that when we started this. So Paul was in Troas. He gets the Macedonian call. He, 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 had, he had no leading of the Spirit to give the gospel in that part of Asia. And the call was to get into Europe. So Paul heads out immediately. He gets to the main city of Philippi. And, and he, he establishes a church there. As we know, he's put in prison. He's beaten. 
I'll deal with that more in a second. And from there, he heads on to Thessalonica, and he establishes the church there. But they knew when he came there what he just experienced at Philippi. And I also want to quote a commentary in this case and what took place to Paul, why he was at Philippi, the suffering that he endured. This isn't, this isn't long, but it just, it just covers it and states it better than I ever could. It says, at minimum, they would have been severely bruised. This is dealing with Acts chapter 16. At minimum, they would have been severely bruised, if not also bleeding from the many blows with rods. Their physical misery was then aggravated by being thrown with some force into prison, having their feet fastened in the stocks, which are heavy blocks of wood, in which the legs were placed and then securely fastened. You would not be able to move around in them like you might if you were only chained. You become stiff. You cannot move around to find relief. Um, they would have their clothes, clothes torn off when they were beaten. Um, and it goes on and on from there. By the way, all this that took place to Paul, remember, Paul, I think, used a lot of wisdom. I think, really, I think the Holy Spirit was just directing his thoughts to control when he gave out certain information. So, remember, this was illegal for that church at Philippi to do this to Paul because he's a Roman citizen. Of course, when they find out he's a Roman citizen, that changed everything. Personally, I believe, which we don't, I, I personally believe, that gave a measure of protection to that church at Philippi when they found out who Paul was. He goes on, he says, we were shamefully, this, this means it deals, with, it deals with being insulting, it deals with a, a horrible offense being done unto you. He says, now, he says, now you understand, just think about this, to the church of Thessalonica, he's refuting false accusations. He said, I want you to remember this, when I came to you, I come from Philippi, I have, we have just suffered, we've been beaten, we are thrown in prison, shamefully, the, the insults, all that we went through, and I come to you. And he's basically asking us, did I change? Did I change my approach? He did not. He didn't change. He stayed the same. He didn't change anything. He doesn't say, listen, we learned our lesson in Philippi, we're changing. He still preaches exactly like he did at Philippi, the same truth with the same boldness. Even though it's likely to lead to suffering. What's the point of that? Whatever the accusation is, we don't know. But clearly it had to do with Paul putting himself first, maybe in a position of preeminence, whatever it was. And Paul's saying, listen, when I came to you, if this was about me, do you think I'd put myself in a place to suffer all over again? No way. He said, but I didn't change. I knew when I still preached this, I would suffer. In other words, he's saying, it wasn't about me. It was about the message. It was about you. He's telling them, you know it. You were there. You saw what I looked like when I showed up. You knew the marks on my back that some of you were having to treat when I showed up. And yet I didn't change. His point is, this was never about me. It was always about the message. He's reminding them what was true. He never put self first. He had a boldness. Again, having all that's done, you can think maybe, maybe he had a purpose to change. He wasn't changing anything, even though it might bring suffering. He cared more about the message than he did his own welfare. <clears throat> he speaks of his boldness. That's simply because his boldness in God. Remember, I, I can show you from Scripture, Paul was not bold in personality. He wasn't. 
for time's sake, I'm not going to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, remember how he said he went to the Corinthians? Which, this is where he's at now. So, he's at Corinth, writing this letter, and when he got there, what did he say? I, I was in weakness and fear and trembling. He's not going into these places with massive boldness. As he said here, my boldness was in God. It's not in my personality. Don't we like to use that as an excuse all the time, why we don't do certain things for the Lord? It's just not my personality. The Lord changes people. As long as you keep telling yourself, that's exactly who you're going to be. So Paul reminds him of the boldness. He even says, I did this with contention. The word is interesting here. He's saying, remember, when I was there, this boldness, this contention with which I worked. The word is an athletic term used in the Grecian games is what he's using. Which, keep that in mind. That was a huge deal. It was nothing minor. That, that they're equivalent of Olympic games back then. They were striving. It's the same word they used in the games for agony. In other words, he's saying, I worked at this. So he's telling them, listen, you had better remember, you know. When I was there, this wasn't about me. I was willing to suffer, which he did. Which he did. Let's go on to number two, from his moxie or the boldness to his ministry. Let's look at verses three and four. He says, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Now, this is important here. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. This is where many people have, have trouble. Preachers, or those who are serving, you had better remember that your responsibility, your stewardship is first and foremost to the gospel, to truth, before it is to anything else. Paul said that. When I was there, my stewardship, I understood. It was to the gospel. It wasn't to men. So if I offended some, in other words, he's saying not that he was purposely, but so be it. My responsibility was first and foremost to the truth. So what he deals with here, in how he ministered, he covers it basically, I put it down in the, in the three M's here. He deals with his message, his manner of life, and his methods. His message, he said, was true, is not of deceit. It was not of deceit. He said, listen, when I came to you, I didn't come up to you with some made-up story. I wasn't coming to you to try and build a name for myself and get a following for myself with some created story. It wasn't about some pagan god. I got some new god to tell you about. It wasn't anything of the sort. I came to you in truth. I didn't come to you with swelling words to allure men. He followed what he said. Now, I do want you to look at this. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I've alluded to this chapter 1. So let's go there. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I love these verses right here. Verse 3 was the verse I was alluding to earlier when he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. But the point I want to draw out now is verses 4 and 5. 4 and 5. 
when he dealt with truth. He said this, and my speech, and this would apply to the church of Thessalonica as well, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's how he preached. It wasn't with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, I didn't come to you with these words. Listen, we see that all the time today. Enticing words of man's wisdom. Paul said, listen, remember when I was there. He said, listen, if this was about me, I would come to you with those enticing words. It wouldn't be what I was preaching. He stresses, when I came to you, it was not in deceit. I wasn't deceiving you. I was giving you truth. He goes on, not only does he deal with his message, but he deals with his manner of life, nor of uncleanness. Now, this is really actually dealing with his preaching, his exhortation in context. I think that's missed a lot. Of things. As I was reading to the con, I think many of them are missing a lot. Some of them were nailing it. But the context here is Paul's preaching. Keep in mind the day he's in. Keep in mind the city he's in, the capital city of Macedonia. What was the major problem? Do you remember? We covered it in the introduction. Crime. It, they, had, they had more problems with crime in, in Thessalonica than anywhere else. Barred windows, everything. They're, they're trying to control the crime in there. They had the pagan religions everywhere. Pagan religions dominate. They had a mixture because it was so cosmopolitan. They had a mix, mixture of the Greek gods, the Roman gods. Um, they had synagogues set up. And so, along with the paganism that was very common was immorality. It was part of the religion. Prostitution would be part of it. It was part of the attractiveness of some of the pagan religions. He said, you think about when I preach to you. It wasn't of uncleanness. It wasn't pointing you in that direction. It was about, it was about a holiness. It was about right. It was about cleanness. He goes, I wasn't trying to give you words or give you teaching that it would allow me to, to, to fulfill some... Uh, um, immoral desire that I have. He said, I stayed with truth. He goes, look at all the pagan religions. You have plenty of religious teachers in pagan religions that are using the name of religion to justify their sinful living and make it something religious, a religious experience. He said, did I do that? You know I didn't. Again, he said, it wasn't about me. He goes, you think what I taught. I brought you on a road of, of trying, to, trying to lead you to a cleaner life, to, towards holiness. He said it wasn't of uncleanness. His message was pure. Of course, his life was as well. They never saw him get into uncleanness or wickedness. He did not try and promote sin or be okay with it. He preached against it. And then he deals with his methods. He dealt with his message was true, his manner of life was pure, and his methods were right. Boy, this is important for us independent, fundamental Baptists. He said it was without guile. It's an interesting word. One, again, I think that we need to learn more in our circles. Nor in guile. His methods were right. And I'll talk more. My, the last point even gets more into his methods, but I'll deal with this. The word means, get this, trickery or to basically bait with a hook. So he's saying, when I preached, I wasn't using some bait. I wasn't using some ploy. 
I wasn't using some sales gimmick. I simply preached. We can get into so much gimmicks today. Paul said, I didn't do that. You never saw me using the gospel or, 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 or the things of God as some bait. Or, or doing, you know, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to step on some toes here. So be it. You know, I'm not going to do some giant giveaway. I'm not going to use bait. We preach the gospel. When we leave the church, know what we do? Just like we have to understand, we're a steward of this gospel and we preach it. That's what we do to the people that the Lord puts before us. We don't have to resort to gimmicks. Paul said, I didn't use guile. Again, the word means trickery. I didn't use that to get people in. It's not what I did. He never used it. What did he use? He preached the word of God with power. Guess what that was to people? Convicting. They either what? Hated him and wanted him dead or got converted. That's what took place. That's what took place. Everywhere he went. And then in verse 4, as I've already alluded to and talked about a little bit, his stewardship. He says, but as we were allowed of God to be, to, to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. So he dealt with his message, his manner of life, his methods. Now he ties it back into his ministry where he knew his, I needed an M, his mark. He knew his position. He said, I understand my relationship to God and the gospel. I am a steward. This is the responsibility I have. My responsibility, first and foremost, is to stay true to, to the gospel, to truth. Not to be about pleasing men. And that's exactly what he did. We, too, have a responsibility when it comes to the gospel. <clears throat> Paul was not worried whether he was popular in the eyes of men, but he certainly wanted to be favored in the eyes of God. So he's coming to this church and saying, please remember, I came to you. You know this. I knew, you knew that I would likely suffer. You knew that this was a battle. You knew I didn't give you some made-up story. It didn't lead to impurity, but to cleanness. I didn't use trickery. I was faithful with what God gave me to do, and you know it. He's telling them it was never about me. He's saying, so those that are coming in and saying, no, he's just making it about him, about his name, about what he wants, what he can get from Paul, saying it's not true. None of it is. He's saying, listen, you better remember this. So we head on to our last point. He gets into his method in verse 5 and 6. <coughs> For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. <clears throat> nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. <clears throat> he gets into his method when he was among them now, how it was right. 
He, he gives us three things he basically avoided when it came to his method and his approach to ministry. He avoided, I'm using one word I've already used once. I'm going to use it in a little bit different way here. He, he, he avoided guile, he avoided gold, and he avoided glory. He said, this is my method. When I worked among you, you keep this in mind. I avoided these three things. And by guile, I mean the flattery. You see, flattery, just like guile, is a form of manipulation. It's using trickery, a bait. It's manipulating behavior. Flattery is too. Flattery is just a form of manipulation for people. To get them to a behavior you desire. To like you in the way you want them to like you. So Paul comes down on flattery. He says, for neither at any time used we flattering words. So in his method, he said, listen, I avoided this guile, this flattery, this manipulation. Again, a flatterer is a person who manipulates rather than communicates. A flatterer can use truth, can use lies to get what he wants, which is to control your decisions, to influence as to what he wants you to do. This is the sin because the influence in this manner is to appeal to the person's ego, which is powerful. David talked about this sin and he hated it in Psalm chapter 12. Let me turn there. Psalm chapter 12 and verse 2. I believe that's the verse. Yes. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. David comes down on this sin of flattery. The Bible talks about, in just over a few chapters over, in Psalm 36, verse 2, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes. There are those who flatter themselves. <laughs> they like to flatter themselves. They like to stand in the mirror and flatter themselves and remind themselves how good they are. Some even in Psalm, 78, Psalm chapter 78, the Bible deals with this. God comes down on their heart as well. They try and flatter God. They do. And, and when, you, when you look at that verse in Psalm 78, he deals with the aspect of, they flatter me with their mouth, but their heart. It's not even close. It's not even close. So they're trying to manipulate God with those words. And, and, and so Paul's reminding, listen, you remember when I was there. You know this to be true. I didn't flatter anybody. I didn't come in and flatter anybody in the church. I didn't come in, I didn't flatter the mayor of Thessalonica. It didn't happen. I never used that to try and manipulate. I simply preached truth. I'm surprised he doesn't say here, which they understood to be true. Anyhow, he doesn't have to. Do you not remember the riot that broke out? Again, the sin here is because it tries to influence people using their ego against them for you to control. Not only did he avoid guile, in this case flattery, he also avoided gold. He said, no cloak of covetousness. In other words, the the cloak here deals with, he didn't have a pretext to get gain. He wasn't, because keep in mind, just like today, there were so many charlatans that day that would use religion or anything to try and get gain from people. It's what they did for a living. Paul said, you know that wasn't me. I didn't come in with some pretext. And we see that all over today with TV preachers, don't we? Just all over the place. I mean, the cloak of covetousness. 
It's there. They have a pretext of using the things of God simply to get gain. If you'll just send, if you'll just send to Terry McGovern Ministries $100, God will give you $1,000. People write those checks all the time. Just plant your seed of faith. What's wrong with you? Look how the manipulation works. You don't have faith, do you? No, I have faith. Then send it. I mean, I need a new car. <clears throat> he said, I had no cloak of covetousness. You know that. Greed did not control Paul. His love for Christ controlled him, and they knew it, they saw it. Because remember, it's going to come up later in the chapter. I alluded to it in the introduction. Because it's very doubtful Paul was just there for three weeks. Remember, he received two offerings from Philippi while he's there. And as we see, as we're going to get into, he worked when he was there. Know what that tells you? He's letting them, he's reminding them, I took nothing from you. I wasn't on salary at your church. When I needed something, I used my trade. There was no cloak of covetousness here. He worked with his own hands. He took nothing from them. And then lastly here this evening, he avoided guile for his method, flattery. He avoided gold, no cloak of covetousness. And he avoided glory. As he says there in verse 6, he says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He avoided glory. He was not motivated by pride. He was not motivated by building a big name. He wasn't traveling to establish Pauline ministries. He was simply preaching Christ because he was a steward. He had a debt. He saw the importance of the truth. He said, there's no other pretext here. There's no other motive here. I didn't seek glory among you. And you know it. Glory has been the downfall of many. You want the Lord to turn his power and his blessing on your work for him? Just make it about your name and your glory. It'll happen just like that. And the devil uses this to cause the downfall of multitudes. They begin to look for a name for themselves. So what happens then, when that takes place in your heart, what you do, consciously or subconsciously, it no longer matters. What you do now is to that end, because that has now become your purpose. So what you do in your service or in life is now about your name. So, if, if that becomes, whether that's in ministry, okay, everything I do, okay, what will help build my name? What do I need to do? And so, that becomes the controlling aspect. Paul says, I never did that. It was never about my name. It was never about glory. I wasn't seeking glory of men when I was there. And they knew it. <clears throat> Again, so often today the motive, which then controls the methods, becomes, well, what will get me recognized? That's where you lose God's hand immediately. It's done. It's done. So that's where they would begin to use flattering words to appeal to men. To get them to like them. To get people to do what they want. To build their name. Paul makes it clear. Listen, when I was there, I never made it about my name. You never sought me seeking glory among you. I preached truth. That's what I did. Not of deceit. There was no trickery involved. 
I, 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 it, was with un, it was with cleanness. I, I wasn't using the common philosophy of the religion of the day. See, remember when I was there. And so with this, Paul has just demonstrated for us how we need to be effective. How we make this work. How when it comes to the need for boldness in serving God. Because the reality is, when you're serving Him, whether you're a pastor or you're in the military, or a police officer, or a manager, i got news for you. The spiritual battle is real. It's going to be a fight. It is. There's going to be suffering involved. You're going to need boldness. You are. You're going to need boldness. Uh, and along with those, uh, with those lines then, man, then when it comes to it, you need to make sure your ministry that God has given, all of us have ministry, not just the pastor, we all do, is done right. That you keep it right before God. Watch out for the dangers where selfishness takes over and it really becomes about you. Avoid it. Stay away from it. That gets into Paul's methods. I avoided gold. I avoided guile. I avoided gold. This never came about money. And I avoided glory. It was about God. And by the way, this is going to work. This is going to help that church. They're going to realize, yep, we're not buying any of that nonsense. Again, notice how Paul handled this. He, he never mentions anything direct. He just tells them. Because he didn't make it about his name. He didn't, he didn't unleash another attack. He said, you know what? Remember my responsibility. I'm a steward of the gospel. I have to worry more about the eyes of God than I do the eyes of men. That's going to involve some tough decisions at times that people are going to get mad at. I have to keep it right, he says. No guile. I'm not gonna, I didn't use trickery. I didn't deviate from the truth. There was no deceit involved when I preached to you. It was truth. It was truth. I wasn't doing it to get gain. I wasn't doing it to get glory. I just wanted to do right. With heads bowed and eyes closed.